0: Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Circe Podcast. If you'd like to get connected to what God is doing at the Circe campus, you can text the word Circe to 88000. There you can give online, get connected to a life group, find your place in a serve team, and so much more. You can also find today's message notes in the YouVersion Bible app. Just tap the link in the episode description to follow along during the sermon and save notes directly to your phone. Now prepare your hearts to hear a great word from God today. Coming into this weekend, you know, this is a kind of a challenging message for pastors everywhere. And I think it's because the day has so much weight to it, right? Uh, Easter comes with a, a high expectation of significance. And for a lot of us in this room, uh, we've celebrated Easter every, every day. Like you've you've been to church 52 times this year, and um, it's just something that you carry with you every day. And so um, to to come down to one day of us coming together and celebrating the the magnitude of a risen Savior is a very big deal. And and you can't cover it in one message. You you just have to talk about it and keep the story moving forward. And remind all of us in this room, including myself, at the incredible act of love that was shown to us through the work of the cross. So Easter, if you look at it, is quite possibly the greatest event to ever happen. To mankind, of course, it was talked about for generations of time, prophesied through the Old Testament. As I've told you many times before, the Old Testament's pointing one direction and it meets at, at the cross, and the New Testament's pointing back toward it. And everything in the whole story culminates about what we're celebrating this weekend. So it is the background for every good and perfect thing that we would experience in our lives as believers, is centered around the Work that took place on the cross. Now, if you are a socialite, this means that Christ loved you before you were ever popular. If you are married, this means that Christ loved you while you were still single. If you're a gym rat, this means that Christ loved you when you were weak. And if you're a health fanatic and all you eat is salad, God loved you before or while you were still happy. And so there's um, there, there, there's a lot of love in this building this morning, okay, for you. So I knew coming into the weekend, and you did too, that, that the world has been different. It's just, it's in a different spot. Maybe for some of you this morning... Um, This might be the first time you've come together in a group in a couple of years. Uh, This may have been the morning where you kind of looked at each other and said, hey, we're going to go back to church tomorrow and celebrate Easter somewhere. And you chose us, and we're so honored by that. But I came into this weekend, too, knowing that things have been very challenging. Uh, A lot has changed, especially perspective and worldviews. Uh, There's been pandemic, there's been war, there's been politics, and there's a lot of emotion as we experience that. Uh, There becomes a lot of emotion and agreement and choosing sides and angst all tied together there to create a social experience that has not been all that pleasant the past couple of, of years for sure. But amidst all of that, the the amazing news is this God has not changed at all not even a little bit that he is the ever sustaining consistent power and authority in our lives and we can celebrate that this morning So I'm going to talk just a little bit and set set this up but I want to start in Romans chapter 8 This is Paul's reminder to all of us. And I I think this this statement has rolled forward so well throughout history um, because it's strong and it's relevant and it's authentic to every person sitting in a chair this morning. But Paul is writing to the church at Rome. This is a church that's been conflicted. This is a church that's been indecisive. This is a church that at times has been hopeless. And so Paul is encouraging them, but he's very strong in his words. And Paul says in Romans 8, he says, For I am sure, I love that, I am sure. One one version says, I am confident that neither death or life or angels or rulers or things present or things to come, no powers or height or depth or anything else in all of creation can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the reason I think this is powerful is because Paul is asking them to consider the things that are priorities in their lives and all of the hot topics that are going on. Of course, Roman uh, the Roman um, government and culture was at the tip of the spear in this day and age, very technologically advanced, very smart. Um, they were creating patterns that in some ways we built off of And so he's saying, listen, out of all the things that could possibly go wrong in every part of our culture, in every part of of the Roman environment, none of it can separate you from the goodness of what God has done. It was just such a strong sermon. And so I think on, on this Easter when we're kind of coming back together and the world seems to be kind of settling back into some normalcy I think it's good for all of us to be reminded of this, that, that nothing, no, no, no politics, no pandemic, no war, even if we're directly or indirectly affected by it, can separate us from the incredible love of God that was given to us and the whole reason why we're in the room this morning. Nothing can separate us from it. This unrelenting love of God demonstrated by the brutality of the cross. And people, you know, really don't don't like to talk talk this out some, but I'll go ahead and and, and address it. Crucifixion was a, a very normal death in in, in the Roman culture. Uh, Christ was uh, not the only crucifixion. This was not just something that they designed and dreamed up with for him. It was brutal, it was terrible but this was something that took place on a very normal basis for them. And what I've learned by reading through the Gospels is that the Gospel writers talk less about the death and more about the resurrection. It was like, hey, we realize it was brutal. We realize it was terrible. We realize it was awful. It was spilled blood. But really what fuels the fire of Christianity moving forward is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the ability to rise up. It's the metaphor of overcoming, of being stronger than. So they ran with that throughout their their gospel writings. I think it's hard for us to understand. We're far removed from from this story. It's hard for us to imagine the brutality of the the cross. We've all been exposed and seen violence, but not like, like that and not in a personal way like that. So... It's hard for us. It's hard for us to fathom that we could be loved in such a way, especially in in a love that we didn't ask for and that we do not deserve, but one that was certainly extended to us. So, let me ask ask you this: How many of you are old enough to remember your life before a cell phone? Everybody, okay? Raise them high so I know who the believers are. Yeah, okay. So. We we had this era of time where we didn't have a cell phone and we still went everywhere. Do you remember that? We we would get in the car and drive for hours not connected to anybody except who was in the vehicle. It was very important who you traveled with because that's the only people that you got. And we would take these trips and you would trust that you were still going to get there without a GPS because you trusted a map that you bought at a truck stop. Do you, anybody re- recall that? Yeah, you, had the, you had like an atlas and you would you would highlight it and you would ride out beside it. And if you stopped along the way at a gas station in a city and they had a clean bathroom, you would put a little star there. So in case you ever went back, you knew there's a bathroom right there that we can trust. I remember one time I was... Uh, hanging out with friends in, in, in Hebrew. I was, I was young and a young driver and we were hanging out and a terrible storm had blown through the lake area. And so I was going to just wait. I, I didn't want to drive home in it cause it was terrible. And so I called my, my parents cause I was a young man. I just said, Hey, I want you to know what I'm doing. I'm just going to hold out on, on, on this storm. And, and so I decided to do that. And so it rained and rained and rained, just torrential rain until about three o'clock in the morning. And I didn't want to stay. The, the night, because it was unexpected, and so I just decided I'm going to drive home. So at 3 a.m., I get in my car, and I leave Heber, and it's still kind of raining, but not enough that I can't drive. And, and once I start to make my way out of town, you know, there's a, a couple of ways that you can go, but the path that I took ended up splitting, and you know how, how it goes. You can either go up on the ridge and go by that beautiful farm, and, and then come down in, into Pangburn, or you can take Libby Cutoff. And I got into Libby, and that's the way I decided to go, and I got down in there, and about halfway through it, my car breaks down, and I coast into this guy's driveway, and I'm, it's kind of rainy, and it's 3.30, 4 a.m. by this time, and I'm thinking through uh, what what my options are, and I'm thinking, you know, I can, I can go up and knock on the door of this guy's house, and I might have a gun stuck in my face, and we'll scare that poor family, and... I think I'm halfway through this area so maybe if I if I keep walking I'll end up at that gas station and sure there's a, a payphone there and I'll call somebody and I get out and I start walking. I lock my car and I leave and I start walking and I'm making my way and the river is to my left and I can hear it and I can still hear rain hitting leaves and and I hear animals rustling and suddenly right then I rededicated my heart to God. And a mile later I was I was miraculously filled with the Spirit, and so I keep on on walking, and there's there's no cars, no vehicles, but I'm scared to death, and I'm soaking wet, and there's one car coming toward me, and I'm really nervous, and I notice it is a white commercial van. I mean, it's it's like a movie. And the guy pulls up beside me and he stops. And by then I was just like, Lord, please just send the rapture. Just rescue your church. I've already given my life to you twice in the past two miles. Just just uh, let the rapture of the church take place. And like a movie, the side door slides open, it's full of newspaper. And this guy goes, Bro, what are you doing out here? It's pouring down rain, it's four o'clock in the morning. And I said, man, my car's broke down. It's a couple miles down the road. I'm wet as I can be. And he goes, well, I'm a newspaper delivery guy. And I was like, sure you are. And he said, I'm going into in Heber. I will take you there if you want to hop in. And he goes, but I don't have any seats in here. You'll have to sit in the back on a milk crate, <laughs> says every murderer everywhere. <laughs> So I get in the car, and I'm sitting on the milk crate, and I got one hand on, on the door, and I look up, and there's no locks. You know what I mean? No, I'm kidding. That was, that's, that's a lie. And, and so I get in there, and he takes me to Heber, and he drops me off, and I end up at the same house that I left two hours earlier. And I just think about that weirdness of, like, just this disconnect, and I don't have any way to reach for help, and I'm worried, and I'm anxious, and I'm kind of hopeless, right? Because I'm like hoping for uh, my car will start. I'm, I'm hoping I make it to the payphone. I'm hoping this guy doesn't kill me as he takes me to deliver his, his daily news. And as I think about that silly story, it's made me reflect on just the mentality of the past couple of years of people just being anxious and amped up and kind of just hopeless toward certain things like, man, this is not going to end well, and that's not going to end well, and they're pointing to different areas in their life, and they feel hopeless toward it. And sometimes hope is is all you have, and I think that's why it's very important, but when I look at hope, hope is actually very spiritual. It's not a state of mind. And so we kind of tend to confuse being optimistic with being hope-filled, and they're completely different. I think hope or, or uh, being optim- optimistic about something is psychological, but hope is very theological. Um, optimism is often believing in myself. It's me taking an experience or an intellect or a rationale or something and applying it to a given circumstance, and I'm optimistic that it will end the same way the previous circumstance did. But hope is me believing in God. Like I'm, I'm hopeful that God's going to be involved. Optimism is often confidence in what you can do, while hope is, is confidence in what God can do. And the Bible teaches us that hope is one of the greatest ingredients of faith. The Bible says faith is the evidence of things hoped So the truth is, some of us are sitting here today and we're somewhat shell-shocked. That was an archaic term for what now we call a post-traumatic stress. And it's like now we have this post-traumatic stress that is very spiritually related. Like, what's next for my life? Like, I've been hiding out in a bunker for the past two years I got a lot of areas in my life that I feel are are hopeless. Some things that are tough for me to talk about and deal with and we look at our world a, a again and simply put it's it's a broken world oftentimes. We didn't do it, but we've been in it so long we don't even know what it's like to be unbroken. So we can look around and easily through my assessment and your assessment too, we can look around and we can find areas of society broken, areas of church broken. But there's also things like areas of, of life, like areas in marriage, or maybe it's your heart that's broken, maybe it's your spirit that's broken. So to have any peace, we got to place our confidence elsewhere, not being optimistic in our minds, but being hopeful in the love of God that was displayed. First Peter, he challenges us in chapter 1, right out of the gate of his letter. He says, because God raised Christ from the dead, because of it, your faith and hope can be placed confidently in God. He's saying, listen to his audience. He's saying, if there's anything in you that is hopeless because God raised him from the dead, not because of his crucifixion, but because of his resurrection, your faith and your hope can be placed in God. Now, I want to take a few moments this morning, and I just want to mention two people In text, who experienced the genuineness and the hope of God? One is Mary Magdalene, and she's a woman who to us is gonna symbolize brokenness. She has a very broken story. And then I'll talk about Thomas for just a second, who moved from being close to Christ to being in a place of uncertainty. Both of these people lost hope, but got it back. So, Mary, if we talk about her for a second, Mary is the one who scholars think she is the one who was actually caught in adultery. Some think that she was the one who poured perfume on Jesus' feet, that this was that Mary, and some think that she was a prostitute. Of one thing we are certain, and we read through the story and we see her her mentioned, is that she was forgiven by Jesus. She had a need, to be loved, and Christ treated her with dignity and respect. And by the looks of her story, it was possible that he was the very first man in her life to do so. Now, Psalm 34 gives us great insight to how the Lord looks at people. Verse 18, it says this, The Lord, watch the wording here, is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Let me talk to you for just a second. The spirit part of us, it's not like you can take your car to the shop and you drop it off and they say, come back in a week and we'll have all these details worked out. The spirit is something you take with you every day, all day. You feel it, you sense it. And when it's crushed, it does not feel good and you carry that with you. And Things happen. You can bruise spiritually. You can be broken spiritually. You can be hurt spiritually. You can be disconnected spiritually. There are all kinds of ways that your spirit, man, can be can be crushed, and you feel it, and you sense it, and you try to push through it, and you try to pray over it, and you try to go around it, and you try to go under it. And Jesus is saying here, "I am with. The, I am close to those." who are broken and crushed in spirit doesn't say that he's going to come down and everything's going to be resolved and everything's going to be fixed and everything's going to be back the way it was. But it does say, as you carry this brokenness, as you feel crushed, he's with you. You're not crushed by yourself, but he's with you. And there's some irony here in this resurrection story because the first person Jesus reveals himself to after the resurrection was not a disciple. It wasn't his mother. It wasn't John, the beloved. It was Mary. She is the first person to see him. And I want to read this to you because there's a lot of strength in these two verses here. John 20 it says, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying and as she wept, she been over to look in the tomb and she sees two angels seated where Jesus' body had been. And they ask her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away and I don't know where they've put him. And at this, she turned around, watch, and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. Now here's why. I think she is looking at him through a lens of being crushed in spirit through a filter of brokenness and disbelief and hurt. And so she has created this fog in her mind that is so thick that even though she's looking at him, she cannot see him. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? And it gets better, watch. And thinking he was the gardener, she says, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him. I will get him. And Jesus says to her, watch this, Mary, he calls her name and suddenly the calling of her name splits that brain fog. It just parts it all. And suddenly the filters in her life are broken. She realizes who it is. And she says, rabbi, but that doesn't just mean teacher. It, it, it's a term of endearment that means like the one that I respect so deeply. She's calling out this term of, of endearment. And so she turns toward him and she sees him now and he's not the gardener. He's the risen Savior. So I think we have to take pause and bring out the weight of this moment because it, this same thing could be happening metaphorically to us. That maybe you're here today and you've got so much brain fog, so much spiritual fog in your life that Jesus is right in front of you, but you can't see him clearly. Like he's close to you, just as Psalm says. He's close to the broken and the crushed in spirit, but you can't see him. Maybe you misplace him. Maybe you think that that sweetness you sense and that presence you feel is something else. She thought he was the gardener, but he was the Savior. And when he calls her name, Mary, it breaks it all. I have to believe that he's still calling names this morning, that he knows you, that he knows me. And through the filters and the fog comes a name that we recognize from a savior who we know well. He asked her two very important questions. Why are you crying and who are you looking for? Not because he didn't know them. What he wanted was a response from her spirit because he says, why are you crying? Why? Because he cares about her pain. Who are you looking for? He cares about her pursuits and he's still asking us the same thing today. Why? Because he cares about your pain. He cares about your pursuit. He cares what, what your soul wants, what, what you're searching for. He cares about it. There's an in, this interesting point is that she does not recognize him until he says her, her name. He does not preach a message. He does not counsel her. He does not reveal heaven. He simply says her name and she knows it. Now, there are times Robbie will call me and every, every single time she calls me, she starts the conversation with, hey, babe, Never once have I said, who is this? Okay, why? Because I like going home. I know who says, hey, babe. My dad, he's almost 80. When I tell him that, he's like, I am not, but he is. He'll call me, and I will answer, hey. And he'll go, hey, son, this is dad. Who else is going to call me son? And I keep telling Dad, since like 1988, we've had caller ID. It's really neat. And like I have you in my phone, and when you call me, it says, Dad, you are not sneaking up on me. Because I know who these people are. I know who, hey, babe, I know who that is on the other line. I know when my dad says, hey, son, it's your dad, I know who he is. And it's the same thing with that part of us that can only be filled by the love of God. I think the biggest, one of the biggest reminders that we should talk about at Easter is that part of you that you are designed to only receive from God. There, there's a part of, in you that only he can fill. Your spouse can't fill it. You can have 10 beautiful children They can't fill it. You can have your dream job. It won't fill it. You can be a billionaire. It won't fill it. It can only be filled by this love of God. This is the area in our life that I'm talking about has to be hope-filled. Now, Thomas, for three years' time, Jesus had been telling his disciples, listen, this is what's going to happen. And if you follow the gospel story, he warms them up to it. He slowly starts to mention it. He's teaching it metaphorically. And finally, he just comes out with it and says, listen, this is what's going to happen. And even though they they were told about it, even though they talked about it, even though they raised their hand and said, I got a question about what you just said, they were devastated that he was not going to be in their daily lives. And I like Thomas. And I like him because I feel like he's genuine. He's authentic. I think Thomas could come here and sit in our church and be a, be a member here. He's, he's, he's an everyday guy who's trying to make it, and he's a thinker. And in this case, to use a southern statement, he overthunk it. He's got uh, analysis paralysis. He's thought about it until he's doing nothing. And he gets stuck. Why? Because he, he's got to rely on what he knows he says, I, I will not believe this until I see him. Peter, I love you. John, I love you. Um, I, I've, I've given up a lot to be with you guys. And I've been doing ministry with this guy the same way you have, but I will not believe this until I see him. And you know who I see when I think of that? Myself. I think of how many times in my life I have said the same thing to God. I'm not doing that until this happens. Because then I'll know. There won't be any doubt in my life. He is no different than all of us sitting here this morning. I've got to have more. It's got to be well-defined. It's got to have guardrails to it. It's got to have light on it. It's got to make sense to me. It is unwise for me to believe this unless I see X, Y, Z lining up. The disciples told him, I'm telling you, man, he's alive. Jesus was appearing to groups of people everywhere. At one point, 500 people saw him. And in John 20, it says this. Stay with me. A week later, his disciples were in the house and Thomas was with them and the doors were locked. And Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. This is a simple phrase. It says, shalom. He just comes and says, peace. And he says to Thomas, this is strong, okay? Watch this, guys. He says, I want you to put your finger here See my hands. In other words, he says, I want you to put your finger on the scars of my hands. And then he says, reach out. Put your hand into my side. It's very strong. And he says to him, stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said, my Lord. Did you notice that the scripture says that that the door is locked? I love the details that John, John puts in here. It's, if you don't think there's humor in, in the Bible, read John. Okay, you have, you have to keep in mind that when we're reading and it says John the beloved, he wrote that about himself. Do okay? you realize that? He's like, I'm John, the one who Jesus loved. These other 11 schmucks are nothing to me. And you also remember when, when uh, Peter and John run out to the, the tomb, it says that John, John writes, and John outran Peter. This dude is here again, man. He's like, I just want the world to know as far as this gospel goes, I am faster <laughs> than Peter, the one who Jesus loves. But he writes on here, and the doors were locked. Fear of the unknown always causes us to lock lock the door. And so it it begs the question, in our hopelessness, what have we locked out? Have we locked out a spouse? Have we locked out the Lord? Maybe you've locked out parents. Maybe you've locked out entire years and memories of your life. You say, I'm going to lock that stuff out. Historians go on to tell us that Thomas died by the spear. The reason is because he denied his faith, or he would not deny his faith. Meaning they went to him and said, Thomas, this all goes away. If you'll just say you don't know him, you don't believe in it. You're not part of those other people. He said, I I can't do it. I've seen him. I've I've put my hand in his side. And what the switch for Thomas was this. And I I think this is, is, is the key to an Easter of 2022 is this, believing again. It's like it was so good at one point to just stay the course. He knew him. He served him. He walked with him. He talked with him. He could ask questions, and there was a disconnect. I think in many ways the church has experienced that. Like they haven't seen each other as often. They're they're disconnected. They're like, I can't believe the state of of the world. you got to believe again. And this this is what turns a hopeless circumstance into something that's hope filled. So let me encourage you with this last verse, and I'm I'm, I'm going to land this. Second Peter chapter three, he says, "The Lord is long suffering toward us." What does that mean? He's waiting on you. He's waiting on you. And I'm not talking about with with tapping his foot and checking his watch. I'm talking about just long suffering, just just a patience with you. He's close to the brokenhearted and the crushed in spirit and he's long-suffering with you. He's going to wait you out. You can think what you want. He's still there. You can shake your fist at the sky. He's still there. You can be confused. Still there. You can doubt him. Still there. He's long-suffering. This day is about you and I connecting again to all that we ever need. doesn't matter if pain has clouded you, disappointment has clouded you, rejection has clouded you. This ability for Mary to look at him once through fear and another time through faith, and that moment of seeing him and hearing her name changed your life. Reminded me of this old song. I'm not gonna sing it for you. It was written for the first time in 1918 as, as, as a pamphlet. It was just a guy who said, hey, I just want you to read these words as an encouragement, like, like a poem. And he handed them out, and four years later, it was in a hymn book. The old song is Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. You've sung it your whole life if you grew up in church. And I want to read you the first verse and the chorus. It says this. O oh soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness, you see. There's a light for a look at the Savior. A life more abundant and free. So turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We live in a religious city. For those of you who play golf, you could could tee up right here on this stage and you could hit your favorite driver in any direction and hit a church. And then go to where your ball is and hit it again and hit another church. City full of churches. That means for a lot of us, we've done religious things. We've, We've been confirmed, we've lit a candle. We've been baptized. We've prayed the prayer. But I want to ask, have you just simply taken all those areas that are just, that feel hopeless, crushed in spirit, and just said, I'm going to turn this over to one who's the power of resurrection. Not just of crucifixion, Not just of spilled blood, though great it was. But resurrection power. That I may believe again. Right. I want you to bow your head for just a second. I just want to talk to your heart. Maybe you're here today. That's where you've been. Maybe you've been behind a locked door. You say, Kevin, I'm here today and I need to believe again. I wanna give these hopeless areas of my life, these crushed areas of my life, to a risen savior. Maybe you've been on, on the run in your heart, your mind, your spirit. You need to come back today. You just say, Kevin, that's me. Will you just raise your hand today? I just want to pray with you. Man, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you for your honesty. Man, anybody else today? Amen. 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 Father, today you look down on us in many, many churches worshiping around the world. And you're in all of them. And we feel you right here in this place. I pray over every hand. And then maybe someone didn't raise their hand today, but they lifted their heart up just quietly. God, I pray today that you just sweep across this room. Remind us of salvation. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. We thank you for your death. And we thank you for your resurrection. And Lord, today we give you every part of us that's crushed, broken, in need of a Savior. And we give it to you. We thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All across the room today, I want you to stand, everybody in the house. and. This is how we kind of do it at, at our church. We're about to worship for just a second, just a couple of songs, and then we're going to let you get out for lunch. And in the back today, there's a couple of tables. We do this every single Sunday, and there's uh, prayer cards back there. And so at this time of our service, you can get out and walk back there and just have freedom to fill out a prayer card. We'll pray over those all, all week long. There's also communion for those of you that want to take that and come back to your seat and open it up. It's just informal. So dads, if you want to go and grab some communion for your family, Feel, feel free to do that, and then we're just going to worship the Lord. So let's do that together. Amen.